Well, today we're going to begin talking about this, this little four-letter word uh, that packs a punch. It's the kind of word that has a lot of emotions attached to it, a lot of feelings that it can bring up in you when you hear this particular word. It's a word that I tend to use at times, uh, maybe towards the end of winter and the beginning of spring. It's a word that I use at some of those times. It's maybe a word that I might use and maybe you might use uh, at times when the NFL draft comes and your team is up to pick and you know some NFL prospects and they don't choose the person that you think that they should choose, and there's some words that you use uh, at that time. Or maybe uh, you're looking at the NBA Finals right now, and, uh, and you're kind of ha- using this word at times. You're kind of using this word towards a team that you like, or uh, you know, you, you hope they do well. Um, but today we're going to look at this, this word in, in this passage that Paul talks about. And this word that he uses, I kind of let it slip a little bit there, but uh, the word that he uses is, is the four-letter word of hope. And this word is a mixed bag a little bit because hope can, can mean a lot of different things. Um, again, I, I hope for warm weather toward the end of winter, right? Spring is coming and you kind of hope for the next season. And in this year, we kind of got like, hey, we hoped for it and it was here for a minute. And then, you know, it was like really hot for a second and then it snowed again. And then it was really hot for a second and then it snowed again. And then it was hot for a second and then it, everything froze. It's like, okay, well, like make up your mind, right? It's like, which one is it going to be? But we hope for that. Maybe you, you hope that uh, a certain player is going to, make your team a little bit better, or you hope a certain team succeeds. Um, but hope is, is something that inherently we're not always confident in. There's almost this, this synonym with hope that is like a dream. You, you hope that something happens. It, it's like this, this desire that you have, but it's not always attached to something that you're confident in. Uh, hope can feel synonymous with a dream. Sometimes it doesn't feel real or, or even attainable. And so as Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, he specifically talks about hope. But the way that he worded hope was, it was a little bit different. He, he worded it in this idea of, of eager anticipation and the confidence that we can have in the hope of God's promise of what is to come. And so we have this, this confidence and this eager anticipation for God's work in the world that we live in and, and what is to come. So the title of today's message fits in with Paul's writing on hope, and we're calling it Living with Confident Hope. Living with Confident Hope. And uh, hello to everyone here. Uh, my name is Ben Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here at Pathway. Um, and hello to you watching uh, at the Moon Campus. Hello to those watching in Classic, uh, and also to those watching online. And uh, it is my joy to be able to share God's Word with you today, uh, to be able to continue our Roman series in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're looking in this series called Romans Grace Changes Everything. Uh, if you haven't picked up on it, this is actually our third week in the, uh, in the chapter 8 of Romans. And uh, as as we look at this third week, we're actually going to be in Romans 8 next week as well, because we're not done with it yet. Uh, So there's a lot that's packed into just one chapter. So if you're going to follow along, if you brought your Romans scripture journal, you can turn there to page 36, and we're going to read through uh, some of that together. Uh, If you didn't bring your scripture journal, there should be a Bible near you, maybe under a chair uh, or something kind of near where you're sitting. Uh, If you can't find one there, I mean, you can always go to the the YouVersion Bible app or the Pathway app, which will take you over to the YouVersion app and access God's Word in that way. 
But as we prepare to, to read through Romans 8 together, um, I want to give you our first point today. And uh, again, as we talk about hope, we, we know that uh, at times hope can, can be hard to come by. Sometimes we find ourselves in, in some hopeless situations, some challenging situations, and uh, maybe hope is, is hard to see in the present moment that you're in. Or, or maybe it's a little bit hard to feel hopeful because there, there have been so many things uh, right in, in a row that, that have happened that, that you don't really feel hopeful. And, and it can be hard to feel. Um, but what, what must be true of us is that we should, in, in the first point, live with hope. We want to live with hope. It, it's not a blind hope. It, it's not just saying like, well, yeah, I hope it's going to get better. Like, it's kind of awful right now. It's not just a blind hope, but it's a, a hope and an understanding, a trust in that God knows what he's doing, that God is actually sovereign, that he's actually in control, that he actually understands this plan and purpose of his, that God is at work, and we have hope that uh, is secure on the foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see here that Paul turns in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 30, where we're going to be today, uh, he turns and he talks about creation. And, uh, and so he turns, and as he talks about creation, here's what he says, beginning in verse 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Again, in verse 19, Paul calls this, this kind of hopeful waiting, he calls it an eager longing, this, this anticipation for something that is to come. Creation is waiting for, longing for, and hoping for something that it's not yet experiencing. All of creation desires this. And so when we look at, okay, what does Paul mean by creation? Well, he means like everything that's been created. Uh, we look at the world around us, and we see that the world around us groans because it is not as it should be. Uh, if I can give you just a, a real-life example that this question is running through my mind like right now in this moment, um, is, is like, why did God create certain things? Okay, my dog, uh, I have a dog, she's about eight, and her name is Molly, and uh, there has been this animal that has been kind of rooting around in our house, or outside our house, um, and it, it happened a, a few different times where, like, I caught just a, just a glimpse of the animal, and, uh, and I was like, ooh, I'm not totally sure what that is, but I think I know what it is, and, uh, but then I didn't see it for a couple weeks, and I was like, okay, maybe it moved on, maybe it's no longer there, and uh, last night we had some people over, and as they were leaving, I let my dog out, and because uh, she seemed eager to get outside, she had some eager anticipation herself, and I thought, oh, okay, she just has to go to the bathroom, like, it's been a while, so like, I'll let her out, and uh, start sniffing around, and I start to get a little bit nervous, and uh, all of a sudden she takes off, and she doesn't get very far, um, and, and all of a sudden she's chasing a skunk, and, uh, and I'm like panic yelling her name. And, but I don't have shoes on. We have a gravel driveway. So I was like, I wasn't going to run down the driveway. Um, but she ran down the driveway and she pinned this thing down. And you think you've smelled a skunk until your dog gets sprayed by one. It's like on a whole other level. It's disgusting. Um, and so I asked myself this question of like, why? Like, God, I, like I understand your creativity and like some of that, but like, this is certainly a result of the fall. Like, this is very much the, the, like, we're groaning because this is disgusting. Like, it is absolutely nasty. Um, so if you come close and you smell something on me, I apologize in advance. Our whole house kind of smells like a skunk. But anyway, 
creation groans, we groan, we smell things. Anyway, so creation is groaning for what is to come. This restoration of the way that things were intended to be, the way that things were in the Garden of Eden. Like this is what creation is waiting for. It's, it's longing for, desiring to experience, but instead it has been subjected to futility. And when Paul writes that, he, he says like it wasn't creation's own choice to be subjected to futility, but somebody else subjected it to these things that it has to groan for and things that it doesn't get. And so we see that creation is actually a, a recipient of the consequences of sin. Like creation did nothing to deserve it, and yet it is experiencing consequences of sin just in, in being a part of this created world that, that exists, right? And so we see in this that, that because of Adam's sin in the garden, that creation was subjected and, and broken in sin as humanity is broken in sin. And so that's uh, kind of depressing. It's kind of not very hopeful. Uh, and yet it doesn't just end there. Paul actually turns it and he says like that there is hope in what is to come. There, there is hope. And, and that's where we turn our focus to and what he talks about next. He says creation it itself kind of waits with hope because one day we know that everything is going to be made right. It, it waits for the, the restoration of the sons of God, of those who have been adopted into the family of God. Creation is waiting, just as we are waiting, for the return of Jesus Christ to bring us into the, the next phase of what we are going to experience in this life, to be with him forever. And so creation is waiting for that time as well, because it's not just a restoration for humanity, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's also a restoration of all of creation. So it waits with this eager longing, this eager anticipation to be returned to the original intent of our creator for that moment when it will come. Paul uses this term of childbearing. Uh, in, in verse 22, he says, For we know that the, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Um, if you didn't know, my wife Connie is about 26 weeks pregnant, pregnant right now with our third girl. And, uh, and, and so we, we get to, uh, we've gotten to experience childbirth a couple times and, and going to experience it again, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, here. And, and for those of you who, who have experienced childbearing, uh, whether you have birthed a child or you've experienced somebody birthing a child, or you've just, just heard something about birthing, um, you know that there's some, some common experiences that come as a result of pregnancy and childbearing, right? There's, there's if we can say it gently, um, there's a bit of discomfort involved, you might be able to say, right? In, in bearing a child, there's like some, maybe just like slight discomfort, okay? There's a reason there's like this needle that they can give you to like make some of that discomfort go away, right? Like, it's very intense. And, and so we see, like, there's this groaning example in the, the idea of childbearing um, in, in the same way that there is this groaning idea in all of creation, that, that it groans for something uh, different than, than what is happening. And so there's some discomfort in all this that, that is happening. Um, but then the moment comes for the baby's arrival, Right? And so you, you've gone through how many ever months it has been for you. Uh, you know, babies come at different times and, and things like that. But uh, the, the moment comes for a baby to come, wh whether you're ready or not. Right? We, we've come to experience that really due dates don't mean anything. Okay, neither of our kids were born on their due dates, and I'm anticipating that the third one won't be either. Um, like, w our first one was born, whether we were ready or not, it was born the morning of a sectional uh, playoff game that I was supposed to be coaching in, and, uh, and so I had to call my assistant coach and be like, hey, uh, I'm not going to make it, um, but I have all the stuff in my trunk, so I need to, like, somehow get it to you, and like, you know, like, it was, baby was born, whether we were ready or not. Uh, the second baby, uh, Sophie, was born in the middle of the night. We had to call somebody at 2 a.m. to wake them up, to have them come to our house to watch 
Aaliyah, our firstborn, so we could go drive uh, to, to have the baby. And baby comes when baby is ready. And, uh, and so in the, the same way, like you can't really plan for baby to come. You can like generally plan, like we know it's coming at some point in the future. Um, but in the same way, Jesus returns like when he's ready. We don't know the exact time. We don't know the exact day. We don't know when exactly that's going to happen, but we know that it is going to happen. And so we wait with this eager anticipation, this longing for, and then in childbearing, when that child is born, like at least for a moment, like all of that pain is forgotten, or at least it's been put in perspective with the, the joy that is handed to you as that baby uh, comes into your possession, right? And, and you have this baby now and, and like everything is different. And, and you kind of have this, this like amnesia a little bit uh, of what just happened. Uh, you know, sometimes those memories come back and it's not good memories and, and things like that. But, but you have this, this joy that you get to experience in the, the life of that child. And so in the same way, like creation groans, but then it's groaning with, with childbearing pains, waiting for that, that joyous moment that is to come. So Paul, even though he's a, a single man who was never married and had no children of his own, he, he understood this image well enough to be able to use it and compare it with the way that creation groans. He, he talks about this eager anticipation that, that doesn't minimize or eliminate the pain of the present, but it lives with confident hope as a foundation to stand securely on, knowing for certain that there is something better that is coming. So we want to live with hope. Point number two is we want to live in tension. We live in tension. Uh, we see in Romans 8, 23 through 25, Paul continues and he writes, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If you remember last week, we talked about this adoption idea that Paul used in, in reference to our being adopted into the family of God. And, and here is the, the completion of that adoption. He says, hey, we're waiting for the redemption, the, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For, for the full completion of this, as we've been adopted, we, we become then full heirs with Jesus Christ. And so we have the redemption of our bodies as he did. And so we hope. And yet in this tension, it's kind of an already but not yet tension of hope. And this reality is like, hey, we, we have already been given the gift of salvation. If you by faith believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been given that gift of salvation, but you don't get to experience every single element of that salvation because we're not yet in heaven with him. Right? There's still an element of like, like the already, but like, like not quite yet, right? It's like we have most of it, but not all of it. Like there is still a piece of it that is to come that we haven't yet experienced. And, and then there's more of it that we actually get to experience over and over and over as time goes on. That's kind of the, the process of sanctification, which is becoming more and more like Jesus. And so you get to experience more of that gift as you surrender more of yourself to him and you submit more of your will to his will. You get to experience more and more of him. So we live with this tension. Some of this tension that we have to live with is we need to learn to live in the tension that, that what we see is not all there is. What we see is not all there is. There, there's stuff going on that, that we do not see with our eyes, right? There is a, a spiritual realm. There's a, a spiritual reality to the world that we live in where there is a spiritual battle happening all around us for our hearts and souls and minds. 
And so as we understand that we are in a spiritual battle, then we are better equipped to put on the armor of God, as Ephesians 6 talks about, and, and better able to actually fight in this spiritual battle. But there's this tension of what we see is not all there is, but at times what we see is what consumes us. What we see is what gets our immediate attention. What we see tends to dominate our calendars and our schedules because what we see can, can feel more important than the things that we don't see. And so we need to be careful with this tension of realizing that, yeah, like the things that we see are important, but also not forgetting that there is something that we don't see and we, we live in that tension. We also need to learn to live in the tension that what we feel is not always true. What we feel is not always true. Feelings are often influenced by our flesh and, and are not the best indicators of what is true and righteous and holy. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's true or right or good. We need to be careful with our feelings. There's a tension here that, that we feel certain things and, and feelings need to be felt and to be understood and to, to figure out like, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? To ask some of those questions, to be in tune with those things, but also to live with the tension that like, just because I feel it doesn't make it true. Our feelings must always be run through the filter of God's word. And then we also need to learn to live in the tension that God's plan is always good. That God's plan is always good. You, you may not understand it at the time. You may look at something that you're going through right now and, and not have any idea why it's happening. But oftentimes when we get on the other side of whatever that is, we, we look back and we see how, how God was at work in all these different ways that, that we couldn't see when we were in the middle of it. So when we're in the middle of it, we need to remember that, that God's plan is always good, that, uh, that God knows what he's doing. Um, there, there's a tension here because often we can think that our plan is better. Often we plan our day and at times kind of sprinkle God in, but God wants to actually be the one who determines our day. He's, he, he's the one who wants to determine that the way that we walk and the way that we talk and the things that we do and, and the way that we do them. And, and so he doesn't just want to be something added in or sprinkled on. He wants to be all consumed. And we need to understand that God's plan is always good. It's a plan that is better than we could ever come up with ourselves. And so the tension there is to, to be humble enough to recognize that, to be willing to surrender your will and your plan and, and, and some of that and, and release it to the Lord and be willing to hear what he has for you. But even knowing all this, living with hope and living in tension, we, we still struggle, right? We see it every day. I mean, another shooting happened. Just, was it yesterday? Like, these things continue to happen. We, we see that, that we continue to groan, that creation continues to groan, that, that we still struggle in this tension, in, in, in this reality that things are not what they should be. Like, this is broken. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ to bring healing. And so as we look at this message of hope, it's one that, that I believe that we so desperately need because we can look around and, and be so easily consumed with, with just despair, <laughs> with, with some hopelessness, with this wondering of like, where, where is God in, in the midst of all this stuff? 
And it's good to ask those questions, right? The, uh, David, King David, was, was not afraid to ask any of those questions. You read through the Psalms and you see he asks all these different kinds of questions of like, God, where are you? And, and how long is this going to happen? And when are you going to come through? He asks these things of God. And so we see that in this creation, we groan, creation groans, and we look forward with anticipation to what is to come. The day that this battle ends because we no longer have to fight it because we are with Jesus in heaven. One commentator said this about it. He said, believers have been brought into a state of safety, but their comfort consists rather in hope than in enjoyment. From this hope, then, uh, they cannot be turned by the vain expectation of finding satisfaction in the things of time and sense. We need patience. Our way is rough and long, but he that shall come will come though he seems to tarry, right? Jesus, who shall come, he will come, though at times it seems like he's kind of taking his time. We live in this tension. One thing that helps with uh, the, the patience that we need in this is knowing and, and understanding our purpose. And that brings us to our third point, is we want to live for God's purpose. We want to live for God's purpose. Paul continues in Romans 8, uh, verses 26 through 28. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Back to verse 26. Paul uses that word weakness. Now this is a word that, that we may be uncomfortable with. Weakness is not something that we like to show. There are very few people who, who we are comfortable being weak with, allowing others to, to see some of that vulnerability of the weaknesses that we have. Right? Most of our lives, we, we try to walk around and, and try to project strength. We try to project something that maybe we hope is true about us, but maybe is not actually the reality. And so what Paul talks about here, he says, hey, listen, we, we all have weaknesses. We all have things that we struggle with. We don't all have it figured out. In fact, none of us have it all figured out. And so he says, hey, in, in those moments, in your weakness— Know that the Spirit helps you in your weakness. And so the sooner that, that we stop pretending that we're stronger than we are, the sooner God can work even more strongly in us, right? The, the Apostle Paul told us that, that uh, it, it's in his weakness that God's strength is revealed. And so when we allow ourselves to, to actually live in those moments of weakness, to turn it over to the Lord— his strength is revealed in us as we submit to him in those ways. And so we need to understand that weakness is okay. We, we need to take that weakness and, and turn it to the Lord. So he continues, and he talks about the, the Holy Spirit. And in our weakness, the Holy Spirit himself helps us. And, and he doesn't just say that the Holy Spirit says a prayer for us. Right? He doesn't just say that, that the Holy Spirit is like, hey, I'll pray for you. And then, like, because we do this sometimes, right? It's like, oh, I'll pray for you. And then we, like, forget or, or time goes past. And you, you remember, like, a week or two later, you're like, oh, I was supposed to pray for him. Like, I got to pray, right? And you, like, totally forgot to do it. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't just pray for you. He intercedes for you. 
right? What this means is, is like something is happening and he steps in between, between you and God and, and he's like on your side praying to God for you on your behalf. Like he's interceding for you in a, in a powerful and intimate way. He helps us in prayer because sometimes we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray as we should. Sometimes we pray with, with skewed motives or, or misunderstandings of who God is or how God responds in prayer. And so the Holy Spirit helps us in those moments as well. And sometimes we don't know what to pray because the circumstance we're in is just so overwhelming. We don't have words to put to it. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. And so in those moments as well, the Holy Spirit is actually praying to God, interceding before God on our behalf. Another Bible scholar, he said this, he said, in those times when discouragement and pain defy description, it turns out that there really isn't even a need for words when we pray. Rather, God, who searches our hearts, knows the mindset of his spirit who is within us, and then the Spirit intercedes on our behalf based on his perfect knowledge of God's will. You see, God's work in his children is so thorough and, and complete that the Holy Spirit in us communicates with God for us in, in ways that, that we don't even understand. And as I thought about this, I asked the question like, hey, how does this work? <laughs> Right? Anybody else wondering that question? Like, like, how in the world does this work? And my answer to you is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it does, and it's beautiful. It, it's a promise that God gives to us, that his Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groans that are too deep for words. And so I can't give you words to explain how in the world this happens. I just know it shows the heart of my Heavenly Father for me and the heart of my Heavenly Father for you that he gives us this good grace that when we're in those lowest of low moments, when we don't know what to say or how to say it, the Holy Spirit is doing that work for us. We move to verse 28 and we see probably one of the more misunderstood uh, yet beautiful truths of scripture. And it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, I want to read it from a, a different translation of the Bible. Actually, it's called the Amplified Bible. And what the Amplified Bible does is, is it takes the, like, what is, is written in, in, the, in the Scripture, and it, and it puts in some of the other understandings of what some of the Greek words might also be saying. It, it brings kind of a, a fuller picture of the, the meaning and the sense behind the text. It doesn't just, like, give you the English word. It actually kind of gives you the idea that it captures uh, as, as it talks about this text. And so in the Amplified Bible, Romans 8.28 says this. It says, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. Again, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. So I mentioned this is probably one of the more misunderstood uh, verses in the Bible because sometimes we, we can take this verse and we can have it say things that it doesn't actually say. So what does this not say? It does not say that all things work together for the good of everyone, right? It does not say that all things are good. And it does not say that no suffering will come. 
There's a specific type of person that Paul is referencing in the, the understanding of, of how God is going to work things together for their good. The type of person that he talks about is, is the one who loves God and the one who is called according to his purpose. This is the, the kind of person that we referenced last week in talking about a disciple of Jesus Christ, somebody who, who is intimately, uh, like they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, we see here that what Paul says is that for this person, God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right now, we also understand that, that God doesn't spare his followers from, from tragedy or, or illness or other adverse life experiences. Like these things happen to all of us just as a part of living in this fallen world, like a skunk spraying your dog and then you having to deal with the consequences of that. Like it's because we live in a fallen world. And, uh, and so as we begin to understand the, the purposes of God, what we need to, to realize is that what you believe about God will directly impact your understanding of the good that he works out. Again, what you believe about God will directly impact your understanding of the good that he works out. Because again, when we think of the word good, there are certain uh, definitions that we give to that word good of how we think that should go. But the Bible doesn't say it is going to look the way that you want it to look. Instead, what we know is that God works it for good. God will accomplish good. And sometimes your good and God's good are defined and understood differently. God's good ultimately is your salvation. God's good is a, a spiritual good, a good that brings you ever closer to him and ever more deeply surrendered to his word and his will. That's the good that God is working out. He doesn't say the circumstance is good. He doesn't say like, hey, yeah, everything's going to go super well for the whole rest of your life because you follow me. In fact, if you remember last week, what does he promise us? He promises that we're going to suffer. <laughs> oh, very good news that is, right? Like that's super not exciting. Um, but that's the reality of, of what he says. He says like, hey, this is what Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced suffering. And if you follow Jesus, you will too. And in the midst of that suffering, God is going to work it out for good. How? I don't know. I'm not the one orchestrating that. You're not the one orchestrating that. And there's some freedom in there knowing that it's not us who are in control of making the good happen. It's allowing God to, to follow the process. It, it, it's allowing God to work out his purposes and his plan within you. So next, Paul moves on to some big words in uh, Romans 8, 29, and 30. He uses a, a lot of a lot of words with, with this rich theological context and background and debate and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so we're going to talk about them a little bit. Uh, but before we do, uh, just to, to be clear, like Paul's intended purpose in, in using these terms is not to bring us to a place where we get to now debate the finer points of theology. He did not do this so that we could have division amongst our churches. He, he did not give us these terms so that we could just like endlessly talk about them and try to figure out what exactly he means by them. But instead, his intended purpose for writing these is simply to tell the Romans that, hey, God is sovereign. God is the one who is in control. Like he has been working in your life and for your life before you ever knew him, before you were ever born. From the beginning of time, he has been at work for your life. How does that work? It is complex and it makes your head hurt. And that's okay. That's the tension that we live in. And so the importance isn't, isn't just this theological word, but it's the idea that, hey, listen, God is in control and you're not. God is the one who is the sovereign Lord over all and you are not. 
Realize that God is in control. God is doing things that you don't understand. He, he's doing these, these amazing wonders that maybe don't look like wonders to you right now. That God is always at work, even when it's behind the scenes and you don't recognize it. God is sovereign. It doesn't have to make sense to you for it to be good. It doesn't have to be visible to you for God to be doing something. And so the sooner we realize that and, and, and come to, to grips with that, then the more we can see the, the real greatness of who God is. So this brings us to our last point, and it, it is to live with confidence in God. To live with confidence in God. Again, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that God is working his plan, knowing that God is working his purposes, live with confidence in God. So here we go into some of these things that Paul says in verses 29 and 30. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his God, or sorry, of his son, <laughs> in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what do all these words mean? Remember Paul's point in this context is to remind believers that, that God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's calling them to trust him and to follow him, to live with confidence in God because of God's foreknowledge of them and his work in their lives. And so we know that, that God is the sovereign Lord over everything. He has this long plan in mind. And so when we talk about uh, for knowledge. At times this word can, can thought to be synonymous with a, another word used in scripture called the elect, uh, talking about those who are uh, by faith believers in Jesus Christ that have been chosen by him. But there's a, a different Greek word here that Paul uses, and so it, it's not the case here. What, what he means by God foreknew or this foreknowledge is more so talking about what David talks about in Psalm 139, uh, describing God's knowledge of us in our mother's womb. David talks about how he, he was knit together in his mother's womb. Before one day was ever uh, lived, all his days had been written before one day had ever been lived. And so the, the foreknowledge of God is this understanding that, hey, God is not bound by time like we are. And so because God is not bound by time like we are, everything is present. One person said it this way. They said all the past, present, and future are simultaneously present to him. There's no time constraint that God has, and so foreknowledge in our terminology is the way that we understand that God knows these things before we do, right? So again, realize that we're trying to, to put wording to a, a very complex reality, and so sometimes the words can fall short. But there's this foreknowledge that God has. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So these are, are people who God has adopted as his children, the, the heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He has appointed it as part of that inheritance that his children would be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be sanctified. You're continually made more and more like Jesus in the way that you speak, in the way that you live. Uh, the purpose of this, con conforming to the image of Jesus, is not just to live a, a moral life and avoid going to hell. Like the idea is not just like get your behavior in line, be like a generally good person, and, and avoid hell. Like that's not what Paul is talking about here. That's not what God has called us to, but instead we are called to live a godly, righteous life each and every day. To actually surrender our lives to Jesus and to allow, to allow him to so transform us from the inside out that it, it impacts every single area 
of our lives. There's, there's nothing that we hold back his lordship over. There's nothing in our lives that we say like, ah, oh, you can have everything in my life except for that one thing. Like, I'm gonna hold on to that because like, it, it, it's kind of like my, my security blanket. It's kind of like comfortable. There's nothing that we leave saying like, I'm the Lord over this and you're not Jesus. We give everything to him. We don't hold anything back. We desire, as, as Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, that, that God's kingdom and will would, would come here on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> God's desire for his children is that we would live holy lives in submission and conformity to Jesus for God's glory that is revealed through Jesus as we follow him. Now we move into called. Those disciples of Jesus are called to a, a different way of living. This is a, a gospel call. We see that the, the love of God initiated this relationship by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins. A lot of this, this terminology of, of predestined and foreknowledge and called is talking about like, okay, who initiates the relationship? Well, it's very obvious in my life that I did not initiate the relationship with Jesus because I was born a sinner and, and I didn't really want to have anything to do with him for a long time. But before I ever knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior, Jesus had already died for my sins. So you tell me, who initiated that relationship? Man, God did. He sent his son knowing that I was going to rebel for a while, knowing that I wasn't going to surrender to him, knowing the struggles and the challenges that I would have, he still sent his son. He initiated the relationship, and then he called them uh, he, he calls us into a, a different way of life, that we might follow his plan and his purpose for living life the way that he intended. Then Paul moved into those uh, whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And what it means to be justified is, is disciples of Jesus who are called and living according to the gospel are justified, and they're declared not guilty. Like we talked about last week in, in adoption where the, the person would be adopted into a new family and, and any of their debt that was attached to them, all of that would be wiped out because they're in a new family now. So if there was a family debt related to that kid, they're now in a new family and that debt no longer applies. It's the same that's true of you as you're adopted into the family of God is that whatever debt you have, whatever sin you might have, that's no longer your debt to pay because Jesus paid it. He paid it once for all, the forgiveness of sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so <clears throat> we are justified, declared not guilty of our sin debt because of the payment of the blood of Jesus on our behalf. And then those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is kind of the, the final step in this equation uh, of all these words of this, this glorification. This is living with that confident hope, this, this hope of what is to come. We are glorified alongside Jesus as we faithfully follow him. We live in step with the Spirit of God. And then one day we are, are going to be able to, to receive the inheritance that Jesus received to be in heaven eternally with God. And so we are glorified into that experience. So this then is the confident hope that we can have in God because we know that, that God is sovereign and that God is working his plan even now. We know that God is working for us, that God is working in us, and that God has been working for us and has been working in us before we ever knew or understood that he was. God knew you in your mother's womb before you were ever born, and God knows you still today. He sees you on your good days. He sees you on your bad days. He sees you on every day in between. And he's at work in them all. His Holy Spirit intercedes for you and, and with you as you pray. His Holy Spirit helps you understand how to pray and, and prays for you when you cannot. 
We can have confidence in our faith in God, confidence in the work of God, in the promises of God, in, in the word of God, because he is the sovereign ruler over all. Because God is the one who is in control. Because God knows things that you don't. He's working a plan that you probably don't understand much of. I don't either. So we trust him. We follow him. We rely and depend upon him. We know that our God is the one who we can place our confidence in because of these things, because he foreknew us, because he predestined us, because he conforms us to the image of his son, because he called us, because he justified us, and because he glorifies us. With our eyes, our minds, our hearts set on that reality, then we can live with this confident hope, hope that is, is not just a dream of something that, that is unattainable, but is a reality that we get to experience as we walk in step with the Spirit of God and follow Jesus each and every day of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and how he wrote these to the church in Rome, and then we get to read them thousands of years later and, and see how still applicable and helpful they are in our own lives. Father, we confess that at times we have taken our life and done what we wanted with it. That we have not been surrendered to you, but instead we have been surrendered to our will and our plan. So God, right now we confess that to you. We repent and we turn from that way of living. And, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in step with your spirit. We pray that you would help us to, to live in accordance with what you have called us to. To live with this confident hope that what is will not always be. This confident hope that Jesus Christ will return and all things will be restored and made new. We look forward to that day, but we also know that we are not there yet. And so in this in-between tension, we pray for your help, Lord. We know that we cannot do it on our own, but we desperately need you each and every day. We pray that you would give us your help, Holy Spirit, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.